Right. Come on, you can do better than that. Thank you, Lord. He's a healer. He still heals. And at the end of this service, we're going to give you opportunity to be prayed for. But before that, will you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16? We're going to continue our study on the parables, these, these life stories that Christ told to illustrate spiritual truth. As you're turning there, as you're getting whatever, however you look at the word, I'll also have it on the screen. You can follow along. I just want to shout out to our foster care network community at Clover Hill Sunday night. Last Sunday night, we had an event where we had about 40 people just come. And I mean, they, these guys are my heroes that will just, just take kids in. There's one family that had two little boys, the, the oldest of the two. His mom had chemically burned him with some chemicals. She's in prison. The ter- rights have been terminated. They are being parents to these two orphan children. I, I don't think you're more like Christ than when you do something like that. There's a, another couple in our church that have a 17-year-old girl that is getting ready in the fall. She's going on a basketball scholarship to a local college, and they have been out getting her ready for that. But we've helped them, the church has, buy supplies, get uh, linens, whatever they need for that college dormitory. And, and so if you have any interest in, in working with orphans, maybe not welcoming them into your home full-time, but being some way connected in that ministry, we would encourage you to do that. I also want to shout out to all our kids workers. Friday night we had a big, bold, loud blast. They did bubble soccer, laser tag, 152 kids. 40 workers came out on a Friday night to serve our children. And I just say thank you. Thank you, thank you. Four, 14 families that have never been to Clover Hill were here Friday night through their kids. And, and, and we're just praying that the Lord... Uh, through the bubble soccer and the relationships that were built and the things that happened, that they'll get introduced to Christ. And, and my five-year-old didn't want to come, didn't want me to leave. Then when I picked him up, he, did, he wanted me to leave and didn't want to go home. So just had a great time. And then also, another, I'm just talking about my heroes. Chesley Delanes has a team that they go on a regular basis to, to just provide help for those that have been struck by a natural disaster. They're going back in a few weeks to West Virginia, Greenbrier, West Virginia, August 11th through 13th, to continue serving those victims down there. If you're wanting to be a part of that, every, remember, everything is online. You can find it. Can't find it online, call the church office. They're also doing a church remodel in the middle of September. So if you can, you know, if you can hammer a hammer, hammer a hammer, pull a nail, if you can do something like that, we'd love for you to be a part. I think what I'm just trying to say is just use your gift for the glory of God. Get involved somewhere, do something, live outside yourself and make a difference for Jesus. Amen, everybody. You'll be glad that you did. And then I do want to make mention, we're in Luke chapter 16. Be there in one minute. We're going to start prayer tomorrow morning, a a, a great emphasis, 21 days on prayer. We're going to take, take August 1st through August 21st. The church will be open every morning, Monday through Sunday at 7 a.m. till 8 a.m. We're going to have, every day we've got somebody coming to lead us in worship, about 15 minutes of worship, a, a short devotion that the majority of the days I will lead, and then a corporate time of prayer. If that doesn't work for you too late in the morning, we also have Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 6 to 7, somebody will be here leading out in prayer. And, and, and we, if you can come a day a week, two days a week, if you can come Saturday, that's your only day because of work, if you can come all seven. Can I just encourage you to come? We're just going to pray for our nation, pray for our church. We're believing God that he's not done with America yet. 
but there, our futures are greatest days, and we're going to see a revival and renewal. I don't care what the, the, the news says, the politicians say, Jesus is bigger, Jesus is greater, and the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through prayer. And so let's be the people of prayer. If you, can be, if you can't pray at your house, just make 21 days a real focus on prayer. First Wednesday will be this Wednesday. Parables. Said all that, and now let's get into this. We, we've done three or four now, I think, and this is the parable this morning of the rich man and Lazarus. It's kind of, I'll just warn you right out the gate, it's a heavy topic. It's a, the topic of hell, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and, and, and at the end of the service, give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus so that you don't have to spend eternity in hell. That's good news. But there's a lot of killings going on right now, a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff in our world. Seems like you can't turn on the TV, can't open up the newspaper without hearing something, uh, somebody getting stabbed, shot, ran over, whatever it is, the, the, the killings. And, and there's all kind of talk right now. Well, it's gun control and mental illness and which political party can best, best protect us. But I've heard little to nothing about eternity, what happens after you die. And I, I, that's where I want to address today. What is it game over? The, the naturalists would say that you don't have a soul. All you have is a body. And once you live your life on this earth, done, finished, no more. The reincarnated people will say, well, you live and die and you come back. And you live and die and you come back. Uh, you come back. And you live and die and you come back. But what do I believe? The universalists say that there's many ways to God and, and all religions lead to salvation. That everybody's going to heaven. When, uh, the, the Catholic Church teaches a purgatory, that when you die, you'll go to this place, and you can get prayed out of it, and you can work your way out of it, and it's not permanent, it's just temporary. And I want to know, well, what does the Bible say about eternity? What does the Bible say about heaven and hell? And if you go to the Bible, you'll, you'll find Jesus, he talked about a lot of stuff. But one of his topics that he talked about a, a lot was the topic of hell. And he told us a parable in Luke chapter 16, to illustrate it so that we would get a good idea of what it's like. So we wouldn't want to go there. Let me read it to you. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. And back then, this purple thread was very uncommon, very expensive. And so this is a guy like, I don't even know what the most expensive suits are today, but just had this, this I mean, I want a Sears and Reebok suit. Reebok suit. It was a suit. It wasn't from JCPenney. It was a suit from the from the best store, the highest of quality. It was just saying this guy was rich. And again, back in that day, they had this understanding, this false understanding, that if you were rich, you had the favor of God. If you were wealthy, then you were more spiritual. It, you, it was a sign of righteousness. And if you were poor, it was just the opposite. And so this rich man, he lived in luxury every day, ate the best food, wore the best clothes, had the best chariots. I mean everything. He had it all. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. La he couldn't even walk to the gate. He had to be laid at the gate. He was a beggar trying to, trying to just get a little bit of this rich man's stuff. And, and the rich man would leave his house every morning in his nice suit and his nice chariot, coming out of his nice house, would step over, would go around, would avoid, would, 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 would stay away from this beggar, and all the beggar wanted, he was just longing to eat from something that fell from his table. I don't even need a prepared meal. Just bring me some scraps. Just bring me some leftovers. Bring me anything to fill my stomach. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And, and, and dogs, again, 
different day, different culture. Dogs were not house pets back then. They were scavengers. They, they were not, I mean, wives didn't talk to their dogs better than they talked to their husbands back then. It was not dog. And, and all Jesus is saying is the dogs had more compassion on this man than the rich man. Showed him more love, showed him more grace than the rich man. And so rich man, poor man, dogs licking his horse. The time came when the beggar died. And I just want to stop right there and, and just remind you that, that, that you're going to die. I mean, I don't even know how to say that nicely or politely. I don't know how to say that uh, politically correctly. I don't know how to say it. You're just going to die. Everybody, here's the deal. We all are going to die. There is a 100% death rate. You could live to 28 or 108. I think the oldest person today is like 133. I don't, maybe that's too old. 113. I don't know. Look it up. Not now, later. But there's an old person in the world. And regardless, in light of eternity, it's really, it, this is what James says, it's but a vapor. Life on earth is like a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. My five-year-old loves to blow bubbles. And so we got this little bubble thing, and I'll blow a bubble. And, and this is the picture I get when I think about James, life is but a mist. Before, and he likes to pop them. Before he can even jump off, oftentimes, the bubbles will pop. They'll burst. And that's how life is. It's, it's barely up, and, and it's gone. It's, it's just, the, the psalmist said, we're, the grass withers and the flower fades. That's, that's what we're like. We, and aren't you glad you came to church today? Aren't you encouraged that, that you're, you know, here, here's the deal. Unless Christ dies, three people, unless he comes, everybody's going to die. Three people die every second, 80 every minute, 11,000 every day. Kings die, queens die, rich die, poor die, often buried in the same cemetery. Uh, it's, it's just the reality that you're going to die. And this beggar died. So the question is, okay, I know I'm going to die. I mean, that's just a fact. I don't, I don't have to be a Christian to believe that. I, I just I see it all around me. It just happens. But the question is, what happens after you die? Is it game over? Is it put them in a box, bury them six feet, done deal, no more? Well, Jesus told a story to illustrate what it would be like after you die. And this is what Jesus said. The beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. It's saying it's represented heaven. That to be, here's what the Bible says. It does, it's not about being rich, not about being poor. It's about your commitment to Christ. It's about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's about allowing his blood to be shed for your sin and believing that and walking in that. And, and, and living for him and honoring for him. And if you are in that crowd, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The second you, leave, you breathe your last breath, you are in God's presence. Here, here's what the word God, of God says. To those who overcome, to those who serve him, live for him, they shall eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All throughout scripture, heaven is described as paradise. Today, Jesus said to that thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise. I, I think one of the, we don't get real excited about heaven. We don't talk about heaven a whole lot. And I think because our, no mind can, can conceive, no, no, no eye is seen, no, no heart can understand what God has prepared for us. We, we just, in our, in our human state, we, we, we just can't get an idea, I don't think, of what heaven is really like. But if we did know, I, I know God's a creative God, and I've seen some great things, but in heaven, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more than I've ever seen, more than I've ever experienced. 
I've been in the presence of God before where I have tangibly felt him. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Where you, you could just, I mean, it's like God is here. When I get to heaven, that won't be the exception. That will be the norm. And it'll never get mundane, boring, or monotonous. It'll always be fresh and new. In heaven, we're not going to sit on a cloud strumming a harp. We're going to be working and worshiping and relating to people. It's going to be a, a perfect world with a perfect God, with a perfect environment. Every tear is going to be wiped away. Every sickness is going to be healed. Every relationship is going to be right. You were made for a person, and the person is Jesus. And you were made for a place, and the place is heaven. And if you're serving God, you need not fear. You need not worry. When you breathe your last breath, immediately you'll be in God's presence. Forever and ever and ever. We sometimes think, well, heaven's just for the elderly or the disabled or the suffering or the persecuted. And, and, and that's not true. If we, got a, if we really understood heaven, we'd all want to go there. We'd all, we'd all long for the day. And, and, and this rich man, I mean, this beggar died, and he went to heaven and immediately went to the paradise of God. The rich man also died because everybody dies. Rich or poor. In hell. And here, and again, I need to pause there because we've been told through whatever that there's only one destination. That, that heaven is the only place you can go when you die. That being born in America secures your spot or being a decent person entitles you to enter or doing some religious stuff gets you in. I've been to several funerals over my ministry and it, and it just appears like everybody goes to heaven. I read in one study that 76% of people believe in heaven, but only 6% believe in hell. And, and, and I, I, again, I, I think our excuse, our validation, our justification is how could a good God, how could a loving God, it goes against his very nature to condemn somebody outside his presence. But, but I want you to think about, yes, God's good, but what about the justice of God? Justice just means to do the right thing. You remember last week, the parable of the persistent widow? Grant me justice. I, I just want the right thing done to me. When we're wronged, we want justice. And we're okay with that. I, I was going down 288 the other day. And this lady was going 55 in the left-hand lane. How many know you don't go 55 in the left-hand lane? You know that, don't you? Write that down. Put that in your sermon notes. The left lane is, is for the quicker group. It, it's for the, those that, that don't go, you know, the speed limit was 65. So it's not even like, it's, get out the way, woman. What are you thinking? And that's why I don't put Christian bumper stickers on my car because it just wouldn't ring well, you know, and, and, uh. I will, I'm not going to, yeah, just, I don't do it. But, you know, I'm like, get out the way. And so I get a little bit close to her probably. But it's a little aggravating. I just, this isn't right. And I flash my headlights at her because that's what you're supposed to do. Get out the way. And, and she would not move. And so finally she got out. She didn't move. But finally I found a spot where I could get around her and go in the right lane, which slow people drive in the right lane, faster people in the left lane. And so I got in the right lane. And you know when you're, when you're offended, when that happens, you're, you can give it a look. I mean, it's, it's what you do. It's, it's okay, right? I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. And so I sit up a little straighter because I'm about to give her the look like, what, what do you think? What are you doing? That's the, that, turn your license in. What are you thinking? And, and, and I drive by her and I, and I give her the look and, and she flips me off. I mean, 
just in front of God and everybody. And, and I, you know, that sense of justice, it's like you're the knucklehead. You're the one that's not supposed to be in that lane. And, and, and when someone, we, we, we have this sense of justice, but yet on the flip side, we, we don't want God. Oh, here's what people, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to live for you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to reject you, but I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. That doesn't even make sense. How loving of it is God to say, oh, okay, again, hey, I, I, don't, I, I, don't want, I don't want anybody telling me how to live, who I can sleep with, how I spend my money. I don't want some God controlling my life. How loving is it to say, okay, you don't want that, but when you die, I'm going to force you to come and be with me forever. I mean, that might be one of the most unloving. People have a choice. We have a choice. We've got to choose. We want to blame it on, or just justify it on, well, God is love and God is justice. Yes, he is, but there also, according to the word of God, there is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to shun. So is hell for real according to Jesus? Yes. And I know some of you are screaming, lighten up, man, I appreciate heaven. Be more positive, be more encouraging, be more uplifting. Don't talk about hell so much. Some of you finally got a friend to come to church today, and you're thinking, pastor, of all the days. Of all the days you want to talk about that, they already think we're a little judgmental and narrow-minded and intolerant. Preach about love. Preach about joy. Preach about heaven. Preach about the blessing. I love you enough to tell the truth. There's not one eternal destination. There's two. There's heaven and there's hell. Here's how Jesus said it in another passage. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So you, you could apply this to our life on earth, our, our eternity. Right now, there is a broad road, many choices, many options. Do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. No accountability, no responsibility. There, just this broad road. However I want to live, that's how I'm going to live. It leads to destruction. It's broad, and a lot of people are doing it, but it leads to a lot of remorse and regret, a lot of I wish I shoulda, coulda, woulda, mighta type of living. But on the flip side, there's a small gate, and narrow is the road. And, and I think what Jesus is saying is it's, it's singular in focus. This narrow road, in the sense that it's narrow, is that there's not a lot of options. It's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's, it's fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. It's what Paul said. This one thing I do, singular in, in focus, I just, I just real, real passionate about one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward, moving ahead. I want a close walk with God. I want a relationship with Christ. And that kind of singular focus leads to life. And many are missing out on this life of the blessing and the grace and, and the goodness of God because we've chosen the broad road instead of the singular focus. But it also talks about eternity. The broad road is, again, that universalism. Many ways lead to God. All religions lead to salvation. Jesus didn't say that. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Paul said, there's no other name under heaven given to men. No other name. There's no other, there's no other option. You want to be right with God? He goes through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And some people say, well, that's intolerant. It's intolerant if I say there are many ways, but my way is the best way. It's truth if there's not many ways. There's one way, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hell is a built-in consequence for rejecting Christ. Hell was not made for us. Hell was made, heaven is being, Jesus now is preparing heaven for us. Hell was made for Satan and his fallen angels. But because of our disconnect with God and because of our choice not to accept Jesus, because of our choosing not to go after him, the only thing you have to do to choose hell is say, I don't want you, God. I don't want anything to do with you, Christ. I'm not interested in following you. For those that are pursuing Christ and living for God, this is the closest you'll get to hell. For those who have stiff-armed God and said, I don't want anything to do with you, this is the closest you'll get to heaven. If we deny the reality of hell, there's no hell. I'm part of that 6%. I don't believe in hell. We minimize Christ's work on the cross. We lower the stakes of redemption. If Christ's crucifixion and resurrection didn't deliver us from eternal hell, then the work on the cross is less heroic, less potent, less consequential, and thus less deserving of our worship and praise. And in fact, if we really understood God's nature compared to us, we wouldn't be surprised that people go to hell. We'd be surprised that people go to heaven. So what's hell like? Well, we go back to our story. Jesus told this story to illustrate what happens after you die and what hell's like. In hell... Okay, that word hell is, is translated in the Greek Hades. And can I tell you this? What, yeah, let's just go on. It's, it's translated Hades, where he was in torment. Well, what's it like in Hades? What's it like in, in hell? It's torment. It's, it's constant agony. It's constant pain. It's constant suffering. One time Jesus was preaching in Mark chapter 9, and he was talking about hell and how you didn't want to go there. And, and right outside the city, I mean, it was like a real illustration. They could smell it. They could see it. There's a city dump. It's called Ghana, right out back in his day, right outside the city of Jerusalem. And they would throw dead bodies on the dump. They would throw dead animals on the dump. They would throw their garbage, their everything on the dump. And they would set it on fire so it would burn and they could keep doing it. And, and, and they, even while Jesus was preaching, they smelled the odor, they, the, the maggots, the worms. They, they understood the, the gnashing of teeth. The, the, they understood all that. And Jesus' illustration was, hey, look, if, if you don't want to serve me or live for me, that's where you're going to spend eternity. And you say, why the graphic terms? Why the hard rhetoric? Why was Jesus so, so, so strong in his language? Because it was a warning. It, it, was, a, it was a plea. Hey, man, trust me. Live for me. There is, again, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so this rich man, he was in hell and Hades. He was in torment. And he looked up, and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Lazarus had died and went to heaven. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. I don't even need a bottle of water. I'm not even asking for, I just want him to dip the tip of his finger in water. My tongue is so parched. My, my mouth is so dry. The heat is so intense. I just need just a drip of water on my tongue. This fire is causing me agony. I want to get out of here. This, this, is, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought was going to happen. This is not what, 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 what I thought eternity was going to be like. Please get Lazarus to help him. But Abraham replied, son, 
Remember, in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in agony. And besides all those, besides all this stuff, the torment, the struggle, there is a great chasm that's been fixed. There's no, there's no parole. There's no pardon. There's no second chances. What you decide now, what you decide in this lifetime, will be lived out forever. There, there's, there's no, well, well, I'll just get out of it some way. No, no, it's fixed so that those who want to go from here, they can't. They can't leave. They can't get out. For those that want to cross over from, from there, they, they can't. The chasm has been fixed. The destination is secured. It's a done deal. It, it, there's no, no, no second life, no calling friends. It's done, Abraham said. And, and, and I'm going to skip this for, the, for, for now. Let me get to this next verse. Let me, where is it? Hold on one second. Oh, here it is. No, it's not. Here it is. Then I beg you, Father. And those verses are important, but this is just a little, I, I just want to get to this. Then I beg you, Father, okay, I'm burning, I can't, I didn't sign up for this, this is worse than I'd ever imagined, and I think America, we, we've somehow painted this picture of hell that we're going to be in a, in some bar sipping on some mar margarita talking about our escapades and how life was on earth, and so far from the truth, Lazarus, just, will you please go to my father's house? I got five siblings. I got five brothers. Just warn them. You can't come to me. You've told me the, ch the, the chasm's fixed, the distance too great. But I don't want them to have to come to this place of torment. Abraham, send somebody to them. Send Lazarus, anybody. Warn them. Plead with them. Tell them. Abraham replied. They have Moses and the prophets. Moses is the it's the law. They have the, they have the written word of God. I've already given them my word. They have the prophets. They have the preachers. They have the teachers. They just need to listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. This is, this is the rich man talking. But if someone goes from the dead, they need some kind of, they need some kind of miracle. They, they need to see somebody get up out the grave. If they see that, then they'll repent. And I, I want to stop right there because this rich man in, in hell realized what, what it took to, to not go to hell. And, and he says, I don't, I don't want him to just say some prayer of salvation. I, I don't want him to just write yes on a card. I want somebody to go to him so they'll repent. And you got to know this, salvation without repentance is not salvation. Hear me, look at me, will you? Because I, I think this is where the Western church gets in more trouble than anything because we've made salvation just a, a head idea where I just got to believe. The Bible says the demons in hell believe there's a God. We've got this idea that I can take Jesus on as my Savior but not dedicate my life to him as Lord. That I, that I can have it both ways. That, that I can have Jesus when I want him and I can also live in the world. That I can have one foot in and one foot out. That I, that I can get stirred by a sermon or get motivated by a sermon on hell and I can say, yes, Jesus, I do need you, but I don't need you enough to change my life. I'm going to continue to live the way I live. 
I'm going to continue to pursue the things I want to pursue. I'm going to continue to spend my money the way I want it to be spent. I'm going to continue to do my thing and still expect heaven. According to the word of God, if there's no repentance, there's no salvation. What does repentance mean? It means to turn. It means to change your mind concerning your sin. I'm headed this way again, doing my own thing, serving my own God, living my own life. I get captured by the grace of God. I have to be, I have to decision point at that, at that point right now. God loves me. God died for me. Jesus wants to bless me. Jesus has prepared heaven for me. I got to make a decision. Am I going to say yes or no? If I say yes, then I've got to change. I've got to turn. I've got to go the other direction. I've got to lay that sin and that stuff behind and pursue Christ. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I never mess up. It doesn't mean that I get it right all the time. But it means my mind changes. Oh, the word of God says I'm not supposed to sleep with somebody before I'm married. I'm pursuing that path. Oh, the word of God says my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm pursuing that path. Oh, the Bible says I'm not to be angry or bitter. I'm supposed to walk in forgiveness. I'm pursuing that path. Oh, whatever the word of God says, I'm pursuing that path. I'm turning from this and turning to that. I'm turning from my way and going after God. That's repentance. And, and, and here's, here, here's what the Old Testament said. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. The word renounce, it means to give up, to put aside, to give up by formal declaration. It means that, again, without, without repentance, there's no salvation. John the Baptist said, hey, the, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you know what he said? He said, there ought to be some fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul said the same thing. That all things are made new. Behold, those other things pass away. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. It's not. And I've seen some people get delivered of drugs and pornography and issues like that. And I've seen others struggle. But repentance is, I don't want that anymore. That life's not, it's not. It's not, it's not meeting my, it's not, it's not what I want. I don't want that. That's, that's the broad road. I want to go down the narrow road. And on my journey, I still might struggle and I might still might stumble and fall. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. But I, in this process, I'm moving towards God. I don't want that. I don't need that. That's going to kill me. That's going to destroy me. This is going to bless me. This is going to this is going to cause me to spend eternity in God's presence. I'm going after that. Jesus said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Peter when he preached that sermon in Acts in the book of Acts, they said, "What do we have to do to be saved?" You know what he said? He said, "Raise your hand and pray some prayer." No. He said, "Hey, fill out this little card and turn it in and get a free Chick-fil-A card." No. He said, repent, repent, because if you don't repent, you're not saved. If there's not, what happens when you repent, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and he begins to change you. If there's no desire to change, if there's no will to change, if there's no change, there, there's no repentance. That's, that's not what I'm saying, that's what the Word of God says. Here's what Jesus, or, uh, here's what the word of God said in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. 
He's patient with you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's, he's not upset with you. He's patient with you. And he doesn't want anybody to perish. The Old Testament says, God takes no joy in the destruction of the wicked. When somebody does something terrible and, and they pay that crime, that the penalty for that crime, God's not up in heaven going, they got what they deserve. That brings me, no, it breaks his heart. And he wants everyone to come to repentance. Because without repentance, there's no salvation. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who do the, does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that day that we stand before God, and one day we will. Well, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons in your name. I performed miracles in your name. I went to church. I, I served on some team. I gave in the offering. Jesus will pl- tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. Why? Because there was no repentance. There was no change of direction. There was no change. There was no change of heart. The rich man says, in hell, hey, just please send Lazarus to him. Let him just let him go and warn him so that they might repent. Because if they repent, they won't end up where I'm at. They'll spend eternity in the presence of God. And here's the end of the story. But he said to him, Abraham said to them, if they don't listen to Moses, if they don't listen to the written word of God, if they don't listen to the prophet, if they don't, if their heart has become so hard and callous that they won't, they won't listen to the preaching of God's word, they're not going to be convinced if somebody rises from the dead. And in, in, in fact, that, that's the reality. The Pharisees heard the teaching. They knew the truth. Jesus did rise from the dead. And they still turned their hearts against him. You, you just, you, you got to know today that God's for you. That Jesus died for you. That the Holy Spirit wants to capture you and lead you and guide you. That Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You got to know on the flip side, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that broad road leads to death and destruction in this life and in the life to come. But the narrow focus, the passionate commitment, the repentance, the zeal for God leads to abundant life on earth and everlasting life in heaven. Amen, everybody. Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me, will you?